Today on Sagittarian Matters, a story about me almost getting kidnapped as I report to you from a patio in San Francisco. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Hello from San Francisco. I come to you from the patio of the Phoenix Hotel in San Francisco as I wait to take a cab to the airport. I'm in San Francisco because I did an in-conversation last night with artist and illustrator Mari Andrew at the Herbst Theater, which is a beautiful Hogwartsian space that holds almost a thousand people. The backstage has so many photos of opera and music stars holding their brass instruments that I had to listen to Phantom of the Opera in my backstage room as I ate broccoli, which I think is probably the most, I mean, if you're thinking of me and you're wondering what I'm doing in a backstage area, if you thought that I was eating broccoli from a vegan Chinese restaurant and listening to Phantom of the Opera as discussed on this podcast, you would be correct. I'm going to go ahead and use the terminology to say it was very on brand. Uh, Mari Andrew is wonderful. We talked about healing. We talked about art. We talked about processing emotions. And I will have her on a future podcast episode. Okay, this week I want to talk about kidnappings in honor of upcoming Halloween. The first one I want to talk about is myself. And the second one I want to talk about is producer Ponyo. So stay tuned. When I was 17 years old, I got in a pretty serious car accident. My car was going about 70 miles an hour on the highway. It hit an embankment. It flipped end over end and then rolled. I almost had to be taken out by the jaws of life, but luckily they were able to pry the door open, put me in an ambulance, and I had a terrible head injury and had to be out of commission for a few weeks. My car was toast. It was a Toyota Tercel and it was scrunched beyond belief. It was no longer a car. My stepfather gave me a pretty new black Mazda pickup truck as my car after this car accident. I think he felt bad for me and also his construction job had just given him a new truck to take to work. So I had this pickup truck and he said, you know, make sure you get it, oil changes, regular maintenance so that it stays good and it'll work for you for a very long time. It's a very nice truck. And I was like, thank you. This is the car that I drove from Kansas City to Portland in when I moved there as a teenager. And I drove it faithfully for a few more years until one night I had driven somebody home from a bar because I'm a designated driver. I was sitting at a stoplight in a small residential area and a drunk driver going 40 miles an hour hit me while I was at the stoplight. So this drunk driver comes up behind me, slams into the back of the truck. Thank God it's a pickup truck because all that happened was the bed of the truck got scrunched, but I didn't get scrunched. Um, I didn't have insurance. My mom had stopped paying for my insurance at some point when I moved out of the house and I just didn't get insurance because I was a miser. I was a penny pincher. I didn't understand the extra expense. I was so young. My brain had like two working brain cells in the responsible insurance type bill paying department. And so when this guy hit me and scrunched my car, I had no recourse. 
he was drunk and high. He had no insurance. I had nothing. The repair was going to be like $2,500. And to me at the time, that felt like $7 million. I mean, it, it felt like it was more money than I made in probably six months. I don't know. It just seemed like crazy. So I didn't get it fixed. I just drove it scrunched for as long as I could until you know, one of the injuries from the accident ended up killing the car and it died in front of my friend Sue's house. Sue, this is a tangent, was my boss at the feminist bookstore. Um, her title was goddess. I was the assistant manager. And so my title was assistant goddess. This is the bookstore that you have seen in the show Portlandia. That is literally where I worked. That was my job. And Sue and I bear a striking resemblance to the characters on that show just so you know. So my car is dead in front of Sue's house and Sue's house was about two and a half or three miles away from my house. I no longer had a car. All I had was a bicycle. And so I put the car on Craigslist to try and sell it. And I said, Hey, this car is only like eight years old. I'm going to charge $800 for it. Just know it doesn't run, but it just needs this thing. And then it's going to be like a great car. And so every time somebody from Craigslist wanted to see the car, I had to ride my bike three miles to the house, meet them there. Then the people would inevitably get out, look at the car, be like, oh, well, it doesn't run. So I'll give you $100. And I would say, no, it's not $100. It's a pretty new car. It's whatever. And then I would ride my bike back home. And it was so annoying. And I had to do it so much. And I just, time was running out. You know, the car was going to get towed if it was sat there unworking for so long. And I just needed to get rid of the car. At some point in all this, I got a call from a guy named Roe. That was how he identified himself. Roe was a little bit creepy. He seemed like somebody who enjoyed collecting non-working cars. And he said, Nicole, I really want your car. I'll give you $500. And I said, the car doesn't cost $500. You know, I think I was trying to sell it for $1,000, honestly. So $500 was even weirder. I was like, it's not $500. Uh, it is a thousand dollars. I I can't sell it to you for that. And he said, but Nicole, I really want your car. And I said, Ro, I really want you to have my car. And he would say, Nicole, I really want your car. And I would say, I, you know, it was like phone sex. It was so weird. And we would hang up and he'd be like, well, call me if you change your mind. And I didn't change my mind, but I got worn down from riding my bike to meet these people and just needing the car to get out of my life. So I had the money, the car wouldn't get towed. I could move on, whatever. So eventually one day I was down on my luck and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to call Roe. And so I called him and I said, you know what? I thought about it in $500. (sighs) Fine. Give me $500. He was like, great. I said, okay, here's my address. You know, meet me at my house on Saturday. We can exchange the stuff and then the car will be yours. And he was like, excellent or whatever he said. Um, so just so you know, I lived in a house full of roommates. I lived in a huge Victorian manor called the gingerbread manor. And I had, I think three or four roommates and people were there at any given time. We had a big backyard, a small front yard. There was no cell phones at this time. I have to tell you that part's important too. So Saturday comes, I, I didn't make a plan cause I imagined people would be there, but on Saturday, for some reason, nobody was at my house except for me. I'm about five feet tall. I'm not particularly buff. I have, I had no weapons. Uh, I was alone. And that was the day that Roe was supposed to come to the house. So I was waiting. I was a little nervous. 
And then, because I, you know, I know you're supposed to do the buddy system and I just hadn't thought about it and there was no buddies available and a knock comes at the door and I think it's Roe early and I answer the door and it's not him. It's a man holding a rake and the man holding a rake says, hi, I know this is weird. I just need to tell you, I used to have everything. Now I have nothing. I used to be in a business with my dad. I had a jet ski, I had a house, I had a happy life. Then the business went under, everything got repossessed. And now all I have is this rake. And I just need to make a living doing honest work with this rake. So I'm going door to door asking people if I can rake their leaves. Can I rake your leaves, you know, to make something of myself or whatever, whatever he said about making a life with this rake. And I was like, okay, how much? And he said, $20. And I was like, $20 to rake this yard is a wonderful deal. I will do it. And I thought, I was like, I closed the door. And I was like, my roommates are going to be so psyched. Uh, The yard is going to look so good. This is a huge savings. We'll each pay $5, whatever. Then um, like eight minutes later, a knock comes at the door. And I was like, okay, this is Roe. So I went to answer the door and it wasn't Roe. It was the rake guy. And the rake guy said, oh, I finished your yard, which seemed crazy. And I looked and he had only done the front yard, which was like a five foot by five foot patch of grass when we actually had this vast backyard. And I said, I'm not going to give you $20 just for doing eight, this like, you know, tiny patch. And he was like, oh, you expected me to do that whole yard for $20? And I was like, yeah, I expected you to do the whole yard for $20. That's what we were talking about. It's like, don't try to take advantage of me. And he was like, don't try to take advantage of me. And we were fighting because I was like being a tightwad and I just didn't understand. And so he's like, oh, fine, I'll do the yard. And he went to the backyard and he was like pretty huffy about it. And I closed the door and I was like, oh, it's men. And then the phone rings and I answer the phone and it's Roe. And he just says, come outside. I'm here. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm home. You want to come to the door? And he's like, no, just come out. I'm across the street. I said, okay. And so I got the keys to the car. I got the title, whatever, a receipt. And I walked over across the street. The street was pretty empty. It was the middle of the day on a Saturday. Everyone was out doing their thing. There was nobody around, but there was this sedan on the other side of the street. And Roe was in the driver's seat. And as I got closer to the car, I saw there was like a pretty buff, scary looking man in the passenger seat. Oh, Roe has a friend. Um, so I go up to the driver's side window and as Roe and I are talking, the other guy gets out of the passenger side and he comes around the back of the car over to my side and he stands behind me while I'm talking to Roe. So I give Roe the keys and the title and everything. He gives me the $500 and then he says, all right, great. Okay. Get in. And I said, Oh, uh, I don't need to get in. You have all the stuff. And he was like, just, just get in the car. And I said, I don't, I don't know why I need to get in the car. I already, you know where it is. I gave you the address. Just go get it. And he was like, you know what? Just get in the car. And then the guy was getting closer to me, the huge guy standing behind me. And at this point, I just, I didn't know what to do. The only thing I could think to do was call to the only person who I knew was an earshot. And that was the rake guy. So the rake guy was in the side yard and I yelled. I was like, hey, can you come here for a second? As if he was my friend. And so Roe and his friend are obviously annoyed by this. And the rake guy comes over with his rake. He may have put the rake down, I don't know. But the rake guy comes over and he stands next to me. And I was like, oh, hey, I just wanted to introduce you to these guys. And I pretended like he and I pretended like we knew each other. And 
where I was like, all right, you sure you don't, you know, you want to get in, you want to show me where the car is. And I was like, no, you have it. I'm not going to do that. And then he was like, oh, fine. And he and his friend, his friend got back in the car. They looked pissed and then they screeched away, uh, visibly pissed. And the rake guy turned to me and said, that was really scary. And I said, I know, right? And he said, yeah, I think those guys could have kidnapped you. And I said, I know. He said, you should have seen the looks they were giving me behind your back about you. This guy was making lewd gestures about you. Like they were really scary. And I said, yeah, thank you so much. I'm so glad you were here. And he said, I'm so glad I was here too. And then he went back, he finished the yard. I gave him a big tip and, and that was it. I was so happy. I mean, I'm, in retrospect, I'm not happy to have been haggling on my doorstep with somebody who in theory only owned a rake. Uh, when I lived indoors and had a lot more in theory than he did. But um, I'm not happy about my haggling miserly 22-year-old ways. And I'm not happy that I didn't have insurance. But I am happy that he was there that day because I think that the rake guy being around saved my life or saved me from whatever was going to happen if I would have gotten shoved into the back of that sedan by that giant burly guy. Today's episode is brought to you by Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Michelle Lemoyne, Mary Pinson, Jill Soloway, Christy Herod, Catherine Tice, Art Dogs, and Rachel Ann Jolie. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, including producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet, like the insect, leg, like its appendage, at gmail. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's voice. Okay, here's Ponyo's kidnapping story. Ponyo Georges and I, for a time, were doing a residency in Richmond, Virginia. Richmond, Virginia is a town with a lot of Confederate flags, and it's very historic, and there is also VCU there. And VCU is the school, and so there's a lot of buzzing around it. There's always students traipsing around outside of the college, but during the weekends, it kind of clears out. When we were living there, Panyo and I took a walk one day in the fall, in the fall or early winter, it wasn't that cold. We walked to the juice bar so I could get a green juice because that is the kind of hippie I am. I tied Panyo outside. I should say the street was completely empty. It was a Sunday. It was about 1130 noon on a Sunday in this university district that was completely cleared out because there were no students around. And I tied Panyo outside of the juice bar. I went into the juice bar. I ordered my juice. I sat on a bench to wait for it. It was ready. I picked it up. I walked out the door to where Ponyo was, and Ponyo was not there. Ponyo was gone. The leash was gone. The leash that I had tied to the pole was gone. The dog was gone. Everything was silent. And it freaked me out, but part of it felt like, it felt like an anxiety circuit completing itself. Like I had always been afraid of my dog getting kidnapped 
And I always gave myself a hard time for this unfounded fear. And then all of a sudden it happened. And I was like, look, I was scared for a reason. It happened. But be that as it may, I needed to figure out where the dog was. And so, you know, I did the thing you do. I looked back and forth. I yelled her name. Nothing happened. Completely empty street. And also, who untied the leash? Ponyo didn't untie the leash. Nobody was there except I saw some juggalo teenagers about a half block up. They, you know, like, like tiny green braids and like giant pants and not full clown makeup, but definitely some unfortunate piercings or chains going from the piercing to another thing. And I said, Hey, um, have you guys seen a dog? And they said, uh, a dog? No, but did you check inside the bar? I was like, what are you talking about? And I looked and next to the juice bar, there was a bar. Granted, it was noon on a Sunday, and so, it, you know, it was like an old tavern, and I, I just didn't, why would I think about, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, so I was like, no, I didn't look in the bar. Thank you. And I gave the juggalo teens their leave, and I opened the door to this bar, this dark, dusty bar where it looks like it's like any time. It looks like it's 11 p.m. inside, even though it's shocking daylight, and there's a row of people at the bar and a bartender and on the lap of one of the drunks is Ponyo George's Ponzini Linguini taking shots. Just kidding. She was not drinking. And I, I said, Hey, Hey, group of people. I think that's my dog. That's my dog. I didn't say, I think I said that's my dog. And they turned around and Ponyo jumped off the person's lap and jumped, jumped up to me and came, you know, came over to me and I picked her up and they gave me, the shittiest side eye and the drunk person whose lap she had been on said she was shivering and barking like they were the goddamn ASPCA who had just saved my dog's life and they all gave me side eye like I was this negligent parent and I just held Ponyo and I slowly backed out of there and I said out loud to her possibly this is passive aggressive because I knew they could hear me I said Ponyo you've been kidnapped we need to go. And then we backed out of there and then we walked away as fast as possible. And I said, Ponyo, you've been kidnapped. You've been dog napped. You're okay now. And I am never, ever, ever tying you outside of an establishment again. And so ever since then, I taught her, I'll put a bag on the ground and I say, get in your bag. And then she sits on the bag like a tote bag. And then I grab the handles and pull them up around her and bring them, bring her in with me. This could be anywhere. This could be me you know, having to put a coat on top of her so I look like I have a hunchback, you know, if it's a place where she's not allowed or putting her in a suitcase and closing it up tight so she looks like a normal suitcase, even though there's like a mesh side she can breathe. Um, But I'll never, ever, ever, ever let her outside of an establishment without me again because she's just too goddamn friendly and she will absolutely get dog napped. Anyway, that's Ponyo's scary Halloween story. That's my scary Halloween story. If you... Have a good, scary Halloween story, just basically about something scary that happened, please send it to us. You can leave it on our message line, 971-361-9998. Keep it short, keep it concise, but tell us about something spooky that will make our skin crawl that happened to you, and we will try to air it this Halloween season. Happy fall, everybody.
Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.